Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me are Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show. Today on the podcast, uh, we're going to do a little weekly check-in uh, with uh, the folks on the podcast, see how everyone's doing. Um, and we got a couple of emails to read that people wrote into slashfilmcast.gmail.com before moving on to what we've been watching and then concluding with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Kelly Reichardt's new movie, First Cow, which is available right now on Video On Demand. And uh, hey, let me ask you guys, do you buy or rent this one? Buy or rent? I, I just bought it. I, I blind bought this. Because I'm like, I have faith in Kelly Reichardt. What about you guys? Rented. Rented. Jeff rented. Devendra? Oh, I, I bought this. Book. Yes. Come on. Got to buy it. Come gotta, on. Got to have faith in the Reichardt, Jeff. Come also, I just, well, I don't own things anymore. You know yeah. what? I, if I want to see it again, I'll rent it again someday. But you also, know, this entire industry is just dying. So, Jeff, you like, just contributed, dollars you just contributed to the death of interesting films by not buying it. <laughs> yeah. It's really what. No, that's what on me. Just, I didn't realize, I didn't look at it that way, but now that you guys have shamed me, I do feel worse about it. <laughs> Good. I mean, that's what we're here for. So I'm really glad. Um, uh, you know what I was thinking? It would have been fun. We should have done is uh, all summer during the pandemic, we should have listed the movie that we would have been reviewing this week. If oh, yeah. We definitely. Hadn't gone off the cliff. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I sent out a tweet recently that was like about this very topic that like in an alternate universe, uh, Quiet Place 2 is already out on Blu-ray. Mm. Uh, no Time to Die, the James Bond movie, probably on mm-hmm. video on demand. And Crazy. Wes Anderson's new movie is in theaters. Um, that's that's what would have happened if we had figured out a way to control this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's, yeah, it was shaping uh, up to be a real interesting summer. I mean, it's still an interesting <laughs> summer, but, it, it, you know, interesting is a double-edged word, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. The French Dispatch, by the way, is, the, is Wes Anderson's newest movie. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we should we should g- give a little tenant update uh, later on. But before we, we oh, get we to definitely anything, have to talk about that. Yeah, we got to talk about tenant. I didn't actually. Yeah. So let's. But before we get to that, I do want to say thank you to everyone who uh, uh, attended our face-off live commentary with Griffin Newman from the Blank Check Podcast. Oh yeah, last Thursday that was a blast. It was so much fun. A couple hundred people showed up. Uh, we raised a little bit of money for charity. We had fun talking about Sean Archer and Caster Troy. Uh, so much fun. Thanks again to CYA.live for uh, kind of managing that event. And also to Griffin Newman from the Blank Check Podcast for inviting us. And for all of you for showing up. Uh, really appreciate it. Some some great, a lot of names I recognize from Slash Filmcast audience in there. It was just a great time. So I'm so sorry I missed it. I, it's oh, been no, so no, long no. since i It was I've a good time because movie. you weren't there, Jeff. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I see. <laughs> really saying. let loose. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I, was we, busy, uh, I was busy contributing to the death of cinema in my own time. <laughs> We we really did miss you, Jeff. It would have been uh, great fun to have you there. But I hope I hope you were able to make productive use of the time. Otherwise, yes, yes. I it was family time, and my evenings now are it's difficult. There, there's too many of them that are full, and uh, so yeah. it's hard to have new evening time uh, cut away from the family. But it would have been great because, like I said, I was I haven't seen that movie in so long. It would have been really just interesting to revisit Face Off because I know you guys have seen it a bunch of times, but mm-hmm. I really haven't. I've only seen it a few times, and. Not recently, that's for sure. I uh, I really love that movie, and I did quite a bit of research in preparation for <laughs> that screening. So actually, I'm planning to make a YouTube video summarizing some of the things I learned about Face Off. So yeah. um, people who missed the event, 
uh, can still have that to look forward to at least. But um, it feels like the, the face off is in rarefied air as far it, it kind of fits in the same category as point break. You know, uh-huh. there's like a, mm-hmm. there are a few films that are just just on that edge of it's they're not it's not like Demolition Man or some of the other movies where they really just are bad, but you kind of still enjoy them. They are kind of also good. Those Point Break and Face Off are both. They're both bad and good at the same time. Generally right? good movies. I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't say actually, bad and good. I like maybe a little campy, but. Yeah, Mostly I guess that's good. a better way to say it. Yeah, yeah. I think that I was listening to the commentary with the writers, Michael Collieri and Mike Werb, and uh, they were saying they were looking at the dailies from Face Off, <laughs> like the the action scenes dailies, right? So dailies are <laughs> right. The, I think the the footage from that day that's shot, it's like raw footage, so it's not color corrected or sound done or anything like that. Um, and they were looking at the dailies and they were saying to each other. These guys know that this movie is about people switching faces, right? <laughs> like they kind of understood that the movie's premise was ludicrous, but the thing that's magic about Face Off is that everyone involved in that movie is taking that thing deathly seriously or deadly seriously, right? Like they're sure, sure. they're bringing their A game from an acting perspective, from an action perspective to it, and it is in service of the most ridiculous plot imaginable. <laughs> Uh, and that's it's special. It's special, you know, when you have something like that. I think so. Yeah, it's. It, um, I think it's operatic, you know, action cinema in in its truest form, and that's what I've always loved about John Woo. So I will always love that movie. Yeah, uh, I will. I'll just mention also that there's this one scene in the movie where uh, there's a big action scene at like this uh, this loft, and I I was in the broadcast. I was uh, recounting. Uh, facts from the from the commentary that I'd learned, and originally in the script, they were supposed to escape from the loft and go to a mirror factory to have an action scene. And Griffin Newman said, "You know, David, you've been giving these alternate universe versions of this movie, and I have not been upset until you mentioned that just now. Um, that we never got the the moment in Face Off where they went to a mirror factory, which I mean, you have to admit just, that would have been incredible. I'm shocked." Yeah, that would have been shot thematically amazing, right? <laughs> but also, there's mirror factories, I guess. Where, where do you think mirrors come from? It was come a mirror on. and fireworks factory, I think, actually. Um, mirror so and fireworks factory. It would have been really now, good. Adjacent to a dove studio, you know? <laughs> a dove training ground? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That would have been incredible. Anyway, thanks to everyone who came uh, to the Face Off Live. It was great. Okay. Uh, over the course of the last few months, uh, I have been doing some check-ins with the guys uh, just to see how everything is going, because I think, I mean, first of all, we have to pad out this podcast because uh, there are fewer things being released these days. <laughs> Turns out that uh, making a movie podcast about new movies served us pretty well for like 13 years, and then now it's not really doing that well for us. Um, yeah, but but also <laughs> the world zagged and we kept zigging. You know the problem. <laughs> but despite that, I mean, I think that uh, it is our way of kind of acknowledging that we're all going through a very challenging time right now, and um, the three of us on this podcast kind of can give you insight into different aspects of how challenging it might be. And obviously, we all diff- live different lives, and uh, we all have relatively different levels of privilege, uh, both us on the podcast and people listening right now. That said, Jeff Kanata, how go things in LA these days? Oh my, David. Um, quite the question this week. Uh, I've gotten a number of people reaching out to me saying that, that listening to our show is, is akin to hearing me descend slowly into madness. Yes. 
And I'm not going to I don't think, I don't think there's any akin about it, to be fair, but yes. True, true. <laughs> uh, I will say, up to this point, is nothing compared to this week. Wow. Okay, because you've already yes. hit us with a lot of stuff over the last few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. On top of everything else, on top of COVID and a almost four-year-old and a two-year-old and all of the things that go along with that, this week we came face-to-face with the knowledge that our house has mice. Oh, that's the big thing? That's the big thing. (laughs) Rodents. Rodents in our in 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 our house yeah, in the house, but that's, yeah. that feels like uh, a pretty fixable problem, though, Jeff. <laughs> oh, you'd think. Have you ever dealt with the the, the rodent problem? I have actually. I, I mean, have. my yeah. old my yeah. old uh, house in Boston had mice. I lived in New York, and we always got mice. Yes, yeah. so it's not it's not well, a big deal, right? <clears throat> both of you have met my lovely and amazing wife. Yes, yes. Uh, and David, you have actually been to my home, uh, and I think both of you would. Agree that my wife is uh, a, a bit of a neat nick. She's <laughs> somebody that enjoys cleanliness. She enjoys things in sure, their place. Sure, sure, sure. That wasn't you, Jeff. That wasn't <laughs> you that organized the house that way. No, no. I've been I've been pulled along, and I I enjoy it now uh, as well. And I have been reformed in, in a new <laughs> in a new version of myself. Uh, but she uh, she's not someone that uh, takes too kindly to the the idea of a rodent in the home, and uh, the rodent has been seen multiple times running. How, across- how many mice are we talking here, Jeff? Are you well, saying I, the rodent? Well, we've only seen one at a time, <laughs> okay. right? But it seems pretty clear that there's more than one. Okay, and uh, as you walk into the kitchen late at night, you turn on the, the light to get yourself a tasty snack or some sort of beverage, and a mouse will run across the floor and scurry <laughs> toward the kitchen. And there will be screams and or uh, unhappiness of various kinds. Yeah, that is upsetting. You know, when I had it in uh, Boston, it was in the garage, right? It wasn't like oh, in the, in the house proper. Very right? different. Yeah. Yes, very. Di- we wake mm-hmm. up in the we wake up in the morning. Come in. There are there's mice droppings on the tables. Oh wow! There are you know the they're, the they're house, just feasting in your house. They wow. are yes. They're the the chairs that the children sit in have been torn to shreds, uh, <laughs> ripped the stuffing pulled out of them. We find in the morning. Uh, obviously, I have you know I have a two year old who sits in a high chair. Anybody with a two-year-old knows that there's some crumbs that are yep. dropped into the crevices mm, of chairs. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's hard, you know, even as a fairly clean family, uh, you know, your, your children leave morsels in places that you might miss. And the rats or mice or whatever this thing is does not miss. So basically this week has been a true descent into madness <laughs> uh-huh. in my house uh-huh. it, it's your uh, gritty remake of mouse hunt is it, it yeah exactly Stuart little uh whatever it is i can't tell you the level of anxiety uh my, mostly my wife and i'm not trying to blame her i am yeah, i yeah. am i am getting anxiety because i want to fix the problem for her mostly i i don't like the concept of the mouse either or the mice or whatever it is I don't like the concept of it, but it doesn't it doesn't tear at my very soul as right, it does for right. her. 
And for her, it is it is a an offense, a a violation of her space. It's near her children. It's pooping on their things. Nothing can ever be clean enough. Uh, we, we are we are now making sure after meals we are now turning into a uh, hazmat <laughs> crime scene finding the tiniest speck of residual residue from the uh the 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 meal trying to you know, uh, let, me, let me just it. say jeff like that is for so for people who don't know that is very difficult when you're feeding a child like today um i fed my daughter dinner and she had rice and like dumplings yeah oh. and the rice just by the end went everywhere, everywhere. It's everywhere. Just every everywhere. corner of my kitchen, like it's all over the place. So I just hope and pray I've got enough of it. But yeah, 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 the mice would eat it all up. It is, it is an impossible mission, and that's why I talk about it as a descent into madness because <laughs> it, 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 you can't, you drive yourself insane. And then there's the barricading, the looking for places that they might be coming from or going to, the standing on furniture and waiting and hoping in the dark that you see signs of them so you have any clue as to where they may be going to or coming from trying to pull out pulling out the stove and finding uh, a gap between the floorboards and the and the baseboards and and trying to put things in those spaces and getting experts to come over to the house and hiring people to spray foam into crevices and pulling out the dishwasher and finding things underneath it and looking in every corner and every crevice and trying to find any way that they could gain purchase in our house. It is, it has become uh, an insane asylum where there is an unseen... (laughs) menace <laughs> waiting behind every everything at night um my wife closes all the doors and keeps all the lights on she's been turning music on to try to convince the mouse that there's no one that there are people here and there's oh no, my god no sa- it is now listen i'm not saying this to 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 uh ridicule my wife by any stretch right. I, I i understand her situation it is not she feels, uh, yeah, yeah. this is our, this is our home, right? This is not a, a we're raising our kids here. We don't want to rodents carry disease. It is, uh, it's an unnerving situation. And se- Jeff, I assume you set up like the traps and you've done all the, uh, all, we all started the with stuff. the, we started with the humane traps <laughs> and now and you're then, just like murder him. Yeah. <laughs> now we're like, literally we got the like most expensive, electric uh, oh instant God. zap destroy a thing <laughs> traps uh so far the ra- the rats the mice whatever they are uh haven't taken the bait we've gotten we started with peanut butter now we've moved on to like industrial strength super bait that's supposed oh to be like <laughs> i'm telling you it has been it has been a journey it has been a Man. slow descent and um, you know, we had people at the house today in masks, like f- closing holes and f- fixing, th- shooting this awful gunk into places. Mm. We've got traps, uh, poison bait set up in the periphery on the edges of our, of our lawn to try to lure them away from the house. And then they take the bait and come back into the, to their lairs and, and poison their offspring. It is... <laughs> You're Guys. just committing mouse genocide over there. At mm. this point, it is a it, it is a uh, 
slash and burn. <laughs> no mouse left behind. Let me philosophy. just ask you, Jeff. Uh, are cats out of the question? Yeah, cats are out of the question. I, there's no, we're, we don't They're have so pets. And, yeah. Yeah, and everyone says get a cat. And I'm like, yeah, but then I have a cat. Yeah, they rule. They rule. You, you know what's great when you're trapped at home is an animal that is perfectly fine being in just a single room, you know, the entire day. They are perfect for this time. Um, I, I've got my stories to share quickly. Uh, my, I'm very proud of my tuxedo cat who, when in my first Brooklyn apartment, she like she launched and she grabbed a, a mouse like immediately as soon as it entered the house, and I was very <laughs> proud of her. My second cat, which is a um, kind of like a Siamese mix. Um, when my daughter was maybe 18 months old or so, she was just playing on her carpet. Uh, you know, you, you put down a carpet in the living room. And I saw this toy that looked like a mouse just sitting right next to her. Right. Right. I was like, when did, when did we get this, uh, this mouse toy? And then, then it like shifted a little. I was like, oh, crap. So I like immediately grabbed the baby, like picked her up, uh, shouted for my wife like to come deal with this. Um, she came in, she assessed the situation. She put the mouse in like, you know, she covered it in a bowl and like, that's what you do. You capture it. It was, it was a tiny baby mouse. It wasn't a big deal. But it was like freaky that was right there next to the baby. Six yeah. inches away from my baby was yeah. my Siamese cat just sitting there. Just <laughs> not like, doing anything. Not doing anything. <laughs> what just a watching you, Siamese her. cat. Useless cat. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. I feel you, Jeff. Uh, I would I would recommend the cat thing, honestly. If you guys aren't allergic and you're cool with but it. That's like, like a lifelong like yeah. life commitment. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, but Jeff, do you feel like this whole situation is exacerbated because of the COVID situation? <laughs> A hundred percent, dude. This is Walter it's, White finding the uh, the fly. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's layers and layers and layers of madness yeah. on top of one another. Just, just like we can't leave. My kids can't leave, and now we're stuck in here with this this with phantom creatures. menace. Yeah, with yes. creatures. Yeah, yeah, that it's mocking us and <laughs> coming out at certain times, and we don't know where it, it it's getting in from, and all. It's like it's it really does feel like a movie. Where is it in my, is it even real? Is it in my head? You know, but I, I found the poop. I found the poop in the morning. It was here. It was out, you know? Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been absolutely awful and I don't, oh, oh. And so we've been talking to uh, all these experts, right? And the, you say, uh, is it exacerbated because of COVID? Everyone says this is happening because oh, yeah. of COVID. They, they they're, are, they're hungry. They yeah, they, there are they, uh, there are fewer restaurants, which means less waste. Yep, food waste, which means the rats and mice have nothing to eat, which means they're going into neighborhoods and finding ways into houses because they're desperate to get food. So it really, literally, is a result of the quarantine. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh. been. It's been a week, man. Like we're on edge. Uh, everybody is anxious. It's like it's just. And I get, I get it, and from a certain perspective, it's like hey, it's just a, it's not going to kill anybody. It's not a, you know, mountain lion going to pounce on you. But it, it is, on top of everything else, just feeling like okay, well, this is the one space that I can't leave, and I yeah. have to feel safe in, and now that isn't even secure. It just, um, it's not great. It's not great. It's been, it's been a nightmare scenario. Would you rather have a mouse or a lizard, Jeff? Because right now I have a lizard somewhere in this basement office and uh, every time I see it, she's getting bigger. So 
I don't have a problem you know. with lizards. I think lizards are kind of cute. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to, you know, grab them and trap them and keep them as pets and stuff and in, in shoe boxes and things like that. I'm sure it wasn't very humane as a kid, but you didn't, you don't know. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I'd probably have, but I have to tell you, you know, since we're on the subject, <laughs> since we've owned this house, we've had, so now we have rats or mice or whatever. I don't know what it is. I, I'm just hoping it's a mouse and not a rat, but it's pretty big. It looks like a mouse tail and not a rat tail. And the split mm-hmm. second that I saw it running across my field of view. Anyway, so we've had that. We've had, we had, uh, we've had lizards in the house briefly shooed them out. We had a bat fly in Ooh, wow. our living room and fly around and fly down. I had to like get a broom and try to usher it out of the house. We had an infestation of flies at one point. And now when I say infestation, I don't mean we had a bunch of flies. I mean, we had thousands yeah, that's of them. That and seems worse. Yeah. Yeah. Way worse. I have pictures of us. Uh, <laughs> with like uh, the ceiling covered in flies. Now you're going to think, well, Jeff, are you, are you living in some sort of uh, a <laughs> dumping ground or some sort of well, a land? It just sounds fill? like the 10 plagues are just happening yeah. inside the your house. house. Localized yes. completely in Jeff Kanata's house. <laughs> well, can I see it? Can yeah. I see it? Uh, steamed hams. <laughs> steamed hams. Uh, you're telling me. Uh, Aurora Borealis. Um, the, uh, the, the we had we we literally dealt with the with the flies by taking a a shop vac that had a long <laughs> oh extension on oh, it yeah, and yeah. vacuuming the flies out of the air fl- vacuuming them <laughs> off the ceiling for hours i have video of us like vacuuming flies off the ceiling so yeah no as a first time homeowner you know, I have, uh, mistakes were made. <laughs> if you survive that, Jeff, I feel like the mouse is uh, totally bearable. But okay, good luck. Good luck. I'm also finding all sorts of fun things in uh, our new home. And oh, uh, it's all terrifying. I hate it. I, uh, owning a home, like it's like second behind having children as the most just like <laughs> stressful. Is, is, an incre- is an incredible privilege. Yes, it's incredible, incredible privilege. privilege. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I'm very lucky yes. to be able to have a home, but it is it is watching entropy in real time. You've got to watch Synecdoche in New York, week? Jeff. You ever seen it? You heard that movie, Synecdoche oh, in New York? Yeah. Didn't we review it? Maybe. I reviewed it at one point. It was on, we, maybe on Tiras. You yeah. like, I, I, feel, you like I don't know if we reviewed it. Yeah. And not my favorite of uh, his movies, but certainly a, a fascinating movie. It becomes more and more resonant with time, I think. Yeah, um, I should rewatch it because uh, in if you may, you may or may not recall, one of the characters in that movie uh, buys a house that is on fire, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and then yeah. she, uh, it's the house that she will die in. Uh, she <laughs> acknowledges that she'll die in it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's like it's hard it's hard to buy the house that you're going to die in. You know. Yeah, I have. I've already done that, <laughs> and and it seems to be accelerating. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Jeff. Sorry to hear about your mouse slash rat woes. That was our review of Jeff's mouse. That was our yeah, review. Yeah, no, I appreciate. Of Jeff's mouse. Uh, I pre- I appreciate the slash therapy cast. Uh, you guys are doing a good service. Thank you. Anytime, anytime. Hey there, folks! I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Better Help. You've probably heard me slowly descending into madness over the last few weeks. It's a rough time. It's a rough time to be a human. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals. I certainly have had a rough time of it. I will freely admit. I'm so glad that I have BetterHelp. Actually, I've been, 
I gifted better help to my wife first, and now I'm getting on it because uh, she had such a positive experience with BetterHelp. What BetterHelp does is it assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating with that therapist in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's a professional counselor that is done securely and online. It's so convenient. It's so easy to do. You just do it as we all communicate now over Zoom-like service. You know, it's a webcam. And there's a broad range of expertise available. Uh, it allows you to get therapists that might not even be in your area. You get the experts that are right for you without being limited to the people in your area. And the service is available for people worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor anytime, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room that, like you would with traditional therapy. I mean, we're not leaving the house anyway, so why do it? It's the perfect thing for the perfect time. It really is the perfect sponsor right now. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need. They want you to start living a happier life today. Like I said, my wife has had such a positive experience with this that I'm doing it now, and you can you can do it too. You can join by visiting betterhelp.com slash filmcast. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. It's really a wonderful thing to see, actually. So, if this is something you think could be beneficial in your life, give it a shot. We have a special offer just for Slash Filmcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash filmcast. Again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash the word filmcast, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on with the podcast. I want to read a couple emails that we got that were pretty great. Um, people writing into slash filmcast at gmail.com. Here is a very lovely message. I posted this on the Slash Filmcast Twitter account as well. Tom writes in from the United Kingdom to slashfilmcast.gmail.com, uh, quote, I found the Slash Filmcast way back in 2010. The first episode I listened to was The Social Network and the interview with Trent Reznor. I love that film and the soundtrack. Let me pause here for a moment. Dave Chen's pausing here for a moment, by the way, and saying like, <laughs> every now and then we get an email where someone writes in about something we did or an episode they listened to, and I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I did interview Trent Reznor. And I'm like, man... Wow. That was a cool thing that I did one time, a long time ago. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on with the email. That, sh that should be in the show. Did you, were you intending that no, to no, not yeah, be in the show? No, no, yeah, that's in the show. I'm, not, I'm leaving that. Oh, good. Okay. Because okay. okay. um, you saying talking about yourself in the third person and saying I'm pausing the show yeah. feels like you're pausing the show. No, no. <laughs> so Tom continues, I've been listening every week since then, and I've listened as the podcast grew and changed over time. It has seen me through good and bad times. Many podcasts have come and gone, but I've stuck with the Slash Filmcast. The reason I've stuck with it is you three. I enjoy the way you bicker with each other, but clearly really get along. 
at, at, this is Dave Chen pausing again. At least half of that <laughs> statement is true. Yeah, um, which half? You'll never know. <laughs> living in the UK, it's always interesting to get your take on films, the film industry, and recently what's going on in the world. I don't always agree with your reviews or film choices, but often enjoy most of the reviews of popcorn movies I don't intend to watch, like Transformers, or dad movies that I generally skip, whatever Jeff recommends. Over the past <laughs> few months, as the world has gone crazy, I've enjoyed listening to you three going even more crazy but still managing to provide content. There have been some laugh-out-loud moments, picturing Devindra with his cats at the airport, or Jeff swearing, and Dave, well, just Dave. I think what you're doing in a small way is providing hope. If you can keep making a movie podcast with no theaters open or no new movies opening, then we can all keep going. I fear for cinemas and have recently contributed to a crowdfunder for an independent cinema here in Oxford, and he writes here, www.up cinema.com that's upp cinema.com uh what i have come to realize is that you have you what i've come to realize is you have to fight and pay for what you love to protect it whether it's cinema films or podcasts life isn't going to be normal for a long time but the only way to hold on to the things we enjoy is to offer support and show how much you love and care i miss going to the cinema with friends and can't wait to do that again but while i wait i'll continue to listen to my slash film friends and hope that my small donation will help keep you going and also show you how much you're appreciated. Mm. So that comes from Tom. Tom That's from nice. Thank you, Tom. What a yeah. lovely, you, Tom. lovely email. And it really, yeah, we'll, it really we'll, touched me. Yeah. It's lovely indeed. And we will continue with our buggy whip podcast for as long as we possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> this email comes from Bradley. So on last week's episode of the Slash Filmcast, uh, I discussed the idea of having a funeral for oneself before one actually dies. Uh, this was I was I was shouted down by a certain Jeff Kanata <laughs> with a with a rather ludicrous reasoning for that by the way, which is like you don't you won't really know how they feel about you until you're actually dead. Which I mean, at that point, it's no good anyway. But um, also, well, Jeff, I guess I'm just curious, like <laughs> you know, like you you seem to think that people, you know, I don't want to get into this again. I don't want to get into this again because we spent like 15 <laughs> well, hey, minutes talking about it last week. So we don't have to. We don't have to spend a lot of time talking about it. But I do want to say not to not to turn it <laughs> serious all of a sudden. Yes. But I'm in the unique position this week of having been to a virtual memorial service this Friday. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh. This Friday, I I partook in a uh, memorial service for someone, a dear friend, um, who passed away. And they were supposed to have a big gala memorial. Um, and that date kept being pushed back, pushed back. And of course, now it doesn't seem like there'll be any time when we'll be able to have a big gala memorial. And so there was a small Zoom memorial service that will work in the interim until such time as the gala can be actually held. And um, I found myself saying things uh, off the cuff and in the moment about uh, the person we lost and about even more about the people who were also there, mm. the people that attended with me, the people I met because of this person that I would never have said if it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And I understand the magic what if can get you far, can get you 90% of the way there maybe sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. the reality of the loss of a person puts you in a completely different headspace. And while I was kind of tongue-in-cheek tongue last week and, and it exaggerated, I do believe that's true. I do believe there is a qualitative difference between 
knowing that it's all a a pretend and actually speaking from a place of grief and i don't know if that's what you would actually want but i don't think it's the same i don't think a pretend funeral and a real funeral elicit the same reactions and i and i don't think that you would ever really know what people would say or feel or experience unless they thought it was real well, yeah. Jeff, I, you're, I you're kind, agree kind of playing that, a trump the card there, because uh, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with what you experienced there. Um, but I'll say, you know, if you acknowledge that it's 90% of the way there uh, with a, a non-real funeral, then, you know, I'm willing to take that. Um, but this email comes in from Bradley Martin from Alberta, Canada. So, so you don't want me to fake your death? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, Bradley Martin wrote in a eulogy for David Chen. Um, to yeah. He said, uh, and here, here's the eulogy. I'll just read it real, real quick here. He said, "What can be said about a film aficionado, podcaster, family man, and beloved son living in the hustle and bustle of what some would call a concrete Amazon, only to suddenly fly away to what many believe a secluded little piece of forgotten paradise?" But enough about Devendra Hardwar's big family move. <laughs> <laughs> Boom goes the dynamite. And then he says here, hold for laughter, followed by sudden somber realization of a final dynamite. Which, by the way, <laughs> pretty profound. Final dynamite there. Anyway, final okay. dynamite. David Chen was many things to a lot of people. I never had the honor of meeting him um, through him. I never had the honor of meeting him, um, but through him, I was able to hear so many diverse and powerful voices. Patrick Willems, Bob Chipman, Walter Chaw, Angie Han, to name a few. His show co-hosts especially have enriched my life in several ways. If it wasn't for the Slash Filmcast, I never would have found out about Jeff Kanata, his DLC podcast, and the Dungeon Run. Gaming, and especially tabletop, has connected me with my kids and opened doors to teach the power of storytelling and the magic of myth. His co-host, Devinder Hardwar, who also writes for Engadget and is an avid fan of anime and American cartoons that look like anime. Never condescending <laughs> about technology. Always turn your motions moving off your TV, he'd say. Dave was a part of ten tens of dozens of podcasts he co-hosted with Vanity Fair's Joanna Robinson, the walking encyclopedia of Westeros and champion to snobby book readers far and wide. He'd also invite people into his home through Periscope. He and his wife would talk about their day and shine as a beautiful, loving couple with actual relationship goals, like organizing a Blu-ray shelf of several unopened Blu-rays. I'm so very thankful that David Chen has brought these people and their voices into my daily listening routine. As for my voice... I wrote a quick little anecdote about Rey in the cave from The Last Jedi, and I sent it into the Slash Filmcast. David Chen read it aloud to Ryan Johnson, who thought it was nice. I bring this up constantly. So often, my family grows tired of it. <laughs> hey, how's everybody? <laughs> hey, sis, how's the kids? Oh, hey, Ryan Johnson thought my Star Wars opinion was nice. On air. What? Do I mention that a lot? <laughs> nah. <laughs> After that, though, I never felt silly or embarrassed about sharing any of my ideas. I lead meetings. I contribute to podcasts myself, and most importantly... I listen to a lot. To, uh, I listen a lot more to other people's ideas. Speaking and listening to others is what David Chen did best. This practice could save the world if only we who are left behind make this practice culturally relevant. So Aww. glad all three of you are alive and well. Must say that was a weird. Uh, that was a little weird writing out, Dave. Gotta say I'm with Jeff on this one. Bizarre. Have a great <laughs> week and thanks again from Alberta, Canada. <laughs> that was really amazing. That was a, yeah. that, He looked seriously took some time and effort, and there was a lot of wonderful. Yeah. references in there yeah. and the and the best news about all of this dave what is it Jeff? is now you never have to die <laughs> it's so true it's so true um anyway he mentioned you guys very lovingly in there that's the only reason i read it on the air because if it was just about me i'd be like <laughs> a little too self-congratulatory but um mm. but he, he mentioned you guys so you know that's nice 
You got what you wanted. You got what you wanted. You got your 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 fake funeral. (laughs) (laughs) I got you know. uh, Also, somebody um uh somebody made an image as well. By the way, um uh uh, who is you dead? The the, uh, Nate from the Fast Food Films Friends podcast. (laughs) Made an image uh, that said, "You're invited to celebrate the life of David Chen." No, he's not dead yet. And he put <laughs> and he like made it like cut out my little my face and put it on the image. It looked like a kind of a more memorial invitation. And I posted it on Instagram, and some people got angry at me because they thought that I was that I was like faking people out by like pretending I had died. Yeah, it's, um, it's almost like you're toying with people's emotions by. Uh... Even well, suggesting okay. a fake funeral. Cu- yeah. couple, couple, couple things. Couple things. First of all, it never said I was dead anywhere on the thing. Okay, it just said you're invited to celebrate the life of David Chen. No, he's not dead yet. Okay. Um, secondly, I'm trying to normalize celebrating people while they are still alive. Okay. And uh, if I if I make a few dozen people really really pissed at me and unfollow me, then that is the price of my normalizing that. Okay. So that's, uh, that's how I feel about that. You're doing, you're doing work that will only be appreciated after your fake death. <laughs> that is that is correct. That is correct. Anyway, uh, um, yep. I want to. I, I had a thought though. You know, if you uh, if you really did do do this and 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 throw the uh, the faux the faux neural. Yeah. Um, yeah. Phone neural. Phone neural. Someone's called it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be fun to have each person that speaks uh, that gets up and speaks. Explain how you died in a completely different way. <laughs> pull, pull like a Heath Ledger Joker in Dark Knight. Kind exactly. Of. Yeah. Like a, each person that stands up goes, it's so sad that Dave, you know, X, Y, or Z. And then the next person has to completely do something different. All right, Jeff. That'd be so funny. Let's plan on it. Uh, hopefully in, in a long time. But you know what? I, I will acknowledge that this is a bad year to talk about this in a lighthearted way. Um, so certainly, we certainly. shall. And also... Let, uh, Dave, I do feel these things exist. They're called roasts, and that is exactly <laughs> yeah. what I would make this. <laughs> or like birthday parties are yeah. this. Yeah, actually, yeah. somebody you know? suggested like having a big birthday party once it's okay to have birthday parties again. So yeah, yeah, uh, and just that's the same thing. So that's what my point was last time. I said it's it's the same as giving a toast at a birthday party or a wedding. But yeah, we should have some damn good birthday parties after this, guys. Come on. The problem on. is like every one of the like movies that have kind of these big celebratory things, there's always this kind of melancholy component to it, right? So like the movie that we t- talked about last week, Get Low, I think, right? Obviously, um, most people haven't seen that movie, but I'll just say <laughs> it wasn't exactly 100% celebratory at the fake funeral. Uh, another one I can think of is uh, an incredible movie called 45 Years. Have you guys heard of that movie? Mm-mm. I really no. love that movie. That was one of my favorite movies of that year that I saw it. And uh, it's about a an older couple celebrating 45 years of marriage, and they have this big celebration. But uh, it doesn't exactly all go according to plan, and I'll just leave it at that. And I just say, like, all these movies where, like, there's a big celebration, most of the time there's some kind of undercurrent of melancholy to them, and I'm just afraid yeah. that... That's I guess I guess no worse than a fake funeral, but yeah. it's almost like life is suffering, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Devendra. Yeah, Thanks. you you can't celebrate anything without without truly embracing the suffering of it all. But uh, to to what you're saying, I've always I don't know about you guys. Uh, I love weddings. I love weddings because they are typically celebrations of love and joy, unless it's like you going you know to somebody's wedding who you don't really care for. In in that case, why are you even going? Um, but in general. 
I feel like those are the most fun, joyous things. You see your friends all fancy. You guys get to have fun. You know, it's, it's usually a lot, not much work unless you're in the party, right? Did you guys ever see the movie, the uh, Anne Hathaway movie, Rachel oh, Getting Married? Yes. Talk yeah. about melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, there's another a, great example. Another great example of what I'm Yeah. Talking. There's a scene in that movie <laughs> where it's, it's not the wedding, but it's like the... I don't know if it was the night before. It's like the rehearsal dinner or something. Mm -hmm. And all of her friends, not Anne Hathaway's friends, but Rachel, I think Rachel isn't Anne Hathaway, right? She's yeah. She's Mm -hmm. Rachel is the wedding that she goes to. Anyway, uh, all the people that are going to the wedding, they like, it becomes this like talent show thing (laughs) that where like somebody sings a song and somebody reads a poem and somebody says something amazing and somebody does a toast and somebody like they're all doing things tributes to the couple and i was always like that is what i want for my wedding Mm. but you can't that has to just happen you just have to have (laughs) friends that would do that you can't assign people that shit you know yes but i was like oh that would be the coolest thing ever is just it becomes this amazing talent show because I have a lot of talented friends and it would be amazing to have somebody sing and somebody do that. And I was like, that would be incredible, but you can't manufacture it. It sort of just has to happen on its own. And also I it eloped. So then didn't, didn't have that, but you know what I'm saying? Like it was, uh, it was, oh. it was a dream. Oh, Jeff, that, that is post post pandemic. You, you guys need to have that celebration. Come on. Right. But how do you like do convince it. people to like do work? You know, like <laughs> write a song for us, you know, do a poem, make a thing like we're, you're invited to the you're invited to our Jeff, reception and just, you need to let bring me just something. tell you, OK, you know, what? let's do it this way, Jeff. Um, if you ever want to do something like that, let, you know, one of us or one of your friends organize it for you yeah. and they will take care of that for you. Mm. Um, Jeff, Jeff is a very nice guy, but he doesn't like asking and and not but and he doesn't like asking people for things. And uh, sometimes you got to ask people for things, Jeff. That's that's my philosophy. Well, I'll make you a deal, Dave. You throw me that, and I will fake your death for you. Oh man, so generous at the very end. So yeah. generous. I'm gonna need you to get into this trunk of this car. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, getting to movie talk because we are on occasion a movie podcast. Uh, quick update to, to something last week, and I actually meant to bring this up last week, but uh, I it, it slipped my mind. We were talking last week about how Tenet, uh, the Christopher Nolan movie, the release of that film has been postponed. Originally supposed to debut uh, in, I, I mean, it was originally supposed to come out in July, and then it was pushed yeah. to August. And they were like, they, they they were very cagey. Warner Brothers was very cagey about when it would debut. Uh, and so we were waiting to see what would happen. And this week, they announced their plan. I'm reading here from an article in Variety. Uh, Tenet will debut internationally starting on August 26th before opening in select cities in the U.S. over Labor Day weekend on September 3rd. Uh, The studio announced Monday that Tenet is launching in theaters at the end of August in 70 overseas territories, including Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, Russia, and the United Kingdom. This time, it's unclear what parts of the United States will play the film. The studio does not yet have plans to release Tenet in China. Uh, This is the worst of all possible worlds. (laughs) Yep, yep. Yeah, and I, I meant to acknowledge last week that this was a this had been floated as a rumor that other countries right. might get tenant before us. La- last also, week the word was indefinitely delayed. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely 
definite now. And the you know, usually when you hear the words select cities in regards to a movie's <laughs> yeah, opening, New York and it LA. means places like New York, <laughs> places Los where Angeles, you, you live. Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, now it means everywhere except those places. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't worry, Jeff, because nowhere in the US is safe and uh yeah, people will I die mean, to see this movie. I'm gonna but say also, we, this yeah. is this is the worst possible situation. If you hope to remain unspoiled for Tenet. Correct. Absolutely (laughs) correct. I I think you're going to have to, I think we're all going to have to let go of the idea that we're going to see Tenet unspoiled. I mean, unbelievable. Like all of the other countries that have justifiably grown to hate us now (laughs) can weaponize their Tenet knowledge. Well, you, I mean, you know, it's, there are going to be tourists. There are going to be people trying to get into these countries to see Tenet coming yes, from America. It's true. And that's going to be us. that's going to make it worse. Us. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. Hey, uh, let's let's welcome. What are the countries going to say? Let's welcome in uh, a person from one of the worst coronavirus <laughs> outbreaks in the world yeah. to sit in a crowded theater yeah. with a bunch of people in our country. That's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to just say, here's here are my two thoughts on this. Number one is, I think a lot of people have been saying, um, like, oh, Christopher Nolan, delay Tenet. It's a, it's a moral issue. It, it's a moral imperative that you delay Tenet. And I completely understand that point of view. And um, I, I don't feel quite as strongly that, like, it's a moral imperative. Uh, but I think it's, it's the best idea to delay, delay Tenet. I do think that, Christopher Nolan understands that the theatrical film going industry is in a terrible state right now and not like Tenet is theoretically something that could keep them afloat for another year. And I know people will think, well, there's, there's no point people shouldn't be risking their lives to see movies. And I think that is completely a reasonable and valid point of view. Sure. Uh, But I just think that like, I, I don't buy the idea that Nolan is, is, intent on releasing this because he's greedy or he wants money or anything like that. Like the dude already has enough money. I, I feel like I, I don't know how much I bet this he, is up to him. Is yeah, the thing, I but he's I, very little involved has in that been decision. No, very, it, very it, that's not true. That's not true. They, they, Warner brothers has said that they are like in communication with him daily about this. So okay, like, okay. Well, I'm, I'm not sure, but he also has not said much. Like, right. He, he has not publicly come out and explained like, here's my rationale. Movie theaters yeah. are dying. And if the tenant doesn't yeah. get released, they're going to be dead. You know, like he hasn't come out and said that. But I, I guess I, all I'm saying I, don't, I, yeah, I have a ahead. hard time believing Christopher Nolan is on the phone with the Warner Brothers studios going, <laughs> I want my money. Put this out as soon as possible. You know, the, right. It, 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 right. It exactly. seems to me uh, it, it is a very complicated uh, no win situation. And. I'm not trying to defend the guy. I have no idea what his position is. It just seems like it's bigger than any one person for sure. I think that's true mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for sure. But I, I see a lot of uncharitable takes on Christopher Nolan. And I just like, I don't necessarily, it's not my, um, like I would love if like they released Tenet on video on demand or waited a couple years, you know, but I guess I just feel like there are, uh, they're, they're trying to like opt a couple months ago. It was reasonable to assume that maybe we might be in a situation that um, uh, where we could open theaters. That being said, uh, it's really bad right now. And also, um, many of these countries that it's going to be released in, they're also not in a good place. So actually, yeah. I'm going to wager, yeah. if I had money to put on something, I would say, like, this isn't going to happen. Like, this, what they have said about this being released in late August and then Labor Day, I, I don't think it's going to happen, right? I mean... Well, based on the fact that we had, what, three days of baseball? Yeah. Uh, 
You know, and and there is a there's hell a of a lot outbreak. of money. Yeah. Hell of a lot of money to be made there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bottomless pit of money to be spent on making sure it can happen. Yep. And they couldn't, they couldn't um, ensure it. that 30 teams would remain COVID free. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's way worse than <laughs> than yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. There's no universe in which. So I, I that was the second thing. I, I, number one, I'm like, I choose to believe the best about Christopher Nolan that he's trying to save the theatrical film going industry, even if his steps are misguided. That being said, I don't think this release is going to happen, as Warner Brothers has said. So right, right. Um, if I had to bet money, I'd say. You know, late August going to roll around. Tenet is still not out in mo- maybe maybe some subset of these countries. You know, maybe like a few of these countries. But mm-hmm. yeah, seven- people in New Zealand are going to love it. Yeah, New Zealanders will love watching Tenet. But seventy overseas territories, I just don't think that all of those places are going to have this thing under control by then. But we will see. We will see. So that is a Tenet update, which in its own way is an update on the, the state tentative of the film Tenet Tenet update. Yes, the tentative <laughs> Tenet. The tentative, the tentative mm. update. It's time to tell you again about our sponsor, Manscaped. It's summertime. It's summertime. That means we're probably going outside. Yeah, we're wearing masks over our face because we're responsible human beings in this world of ours right now. But you know what? You're not wearing a mask on your feet, on your chest, on your groin. Yeah, you're going to want to get all of that stuff manscaped because you're you're wearing a mask, but you're probably not wearing shirts. You're probably not wearing shoes. You're wearing the flippy floppies. If you're like me, I'm making copies over here on this boat. I'm on a boat. I wish I was on a boat. I'm usually just in my front yard, but I like the fact that Manscaped offers you all the right tools to keep your hair groomed both above and below the belt. That means... You can use their tools, their lawnmower 3.0 or the perfect package. Give you all the stuff you need to keep your chest hair trimmed, to keep your groin hair trimmed. All the stuff you need to make yourself feel good, look good. And guess what? Now their Shears 2.0, which is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, is going into their lawnmower 3.0 and their perfect package. You got your slash tipped tweezers. You got your rounded point scissors. You got your fingernail clippers and a medium grit nail file. That's right, medium grit. You don't want that low grit. You probably don't want to go over to high grit. Get yourself a medium grit nail file. Why? Because if you're like me, you're wearing your flippy floppies. I'm on a boat in my mind. I'm wearing my mask in my front yard with my flippy floppies. No one wants to see those nasty, unclipped toes of yours. No one wants to see an ungroomed set of feet, fingers, or most importantly, your groin area. Don't let it happen to you. That's why you can get the Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential lawnmower 3.0, water-resistant, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. It's the best trimmer on the market. For those of you in need of a chest shave or a groin area shave, this is the third generation trimmer. It's amazing. And guess what? We are going to give you 20% off plus free shipping with the code filmcast at manscaped.com. And for a limited time, 
subscribers to the perfect package. They get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. And for a limited time, they get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing manscaped boxer briefs. Holy moly. So do it. 20% off plus free shipping with promo code FILMCAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Summer is here. It's time to manscape. All right. Let's move on to what we've been uh, watching this week. I had a chance to watch something called Indian Matchmaking. Uh, and You and everybody else with Netflix, Dave, apparently. This has been uh, a couple weeks... Uh, it's been out on Netflix. It's been really popular. It's been uh, it's been uh, memed online already. Uh, it's one of these reality shows like Love Is Blind that just comes out of you know or Floor Is Lava that just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> no one's like anticipating the, the romantic reality show yeah. Floor Is Lava. Yeah. No, no one is anticipating a Floor Is Lava to be released or a Love Is Blind or whatever. It just shows up. It takes the entire like country by storm every you know within a week millions of people know who these people are and then completely forget about them and move on to something else by yeah like remember tiger king everybody yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's exactly like remember that. how everyone was talking about tiger king for 15 minutes yeah and i know what's talking about that. so anyway indian matchmaking is the latest one of those things where uh the internet is going to feast on the remains of this show uh <laughs> for a good couple weeks and then it's going to move on to another thing but uh it, this show on Netflix, Indian matchmaking shows uh, the, what happens with uh, Indian matchmaking. Basically, people hire an Indian matchmaker and uh, they try to uh, find a match for you. And th- this show uh, follows specifically one Indian matchmaker, theoretically one of the best Indian matchmakers, Seema Taparia from Mumbai, who is, has been is identified in the show as the top matchmaker in Mumbai. And I've looked this. I looked it up, and apparently, costs somewhere between. Two to six thousand dollars for like a single uh, match person, like a single candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, you pay her two to six thousand dollars to find you a match, and uh, she is currently managing matches for one hundred and thirty-five uh, families right now, or, or, at least at the time of the show, which I think was shot a year or two ago. And uh, the show uh, has has gotten some controversy. I mean, for the fact that. It shows in a very stark and frank way the conversations that occur behind the scenes of matchmaking. And specifically, um, these families are asking for uh, a potential mate uh, that is of a certain, that like, you know, comes from a certain family type. Um, and uh, one of the most controversial things is like th- what their skin color is, right? Like having yep. a fair skin color and that like, um, this is a this is very controversial that like people prize like having a fairer skin color uh, in India and uh, I mean I I think it's actually valuable that this show is kind of laying bare what is a fairly accurate depiction of the conversations that go on I think like if you're I, I don't I think people shouldn't be angry at the show they should be angry at like the fact that the reality of what it depicts. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's valuable when a show kind of shows you what is happening behind the scenes that people don't really talk about. Um, the, the show basically follows a, a bunch of people throughout the course of its eight episodes. And you kind of see 
what Seema auntie tries to do to like match these people up and like she finds dates for them and they or a bio data they're called bio data uh, where it's like a bio with a photo and it gives their background and then like you use this to like it's kind of like a tinder profile but like much more in depth and much more custom um, and there's there's like a somebody who's kind of screening them and making sure people are matches and then uh, they get to go out on dates and like the dates are filmed and you get to see how well they gel together and uh i'll say two things about the show i mean i think it's like an engaging show it's an engaging watch it's a good Um, reality show like the, the people are interesting the problems the stakes are like life you know it's it's the love of your life or the person you're gonna spend the rest of your life with right so it's not just uh, it doesn't feel as uh, trivial as some other reality shows. Yeah, and and for the most part, uh, the people are very relatable. You're kind of rooting for them, mm-hmm. right? You kind of they're they're reasonable people. They're young people. They're like millennials. M- many of them are like late twenties, early thirties. They're nice individuals. You're like, I want these people to be happy. You know, that's generally what what you kind of are thinking when you're watching the show. Uh, with one exception, <laughs> and that is <laughs> there is a character on the show named Aparna. Character who- D. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to stop watching the show. She because she is because of her the villain. She is clearly made out to be the villain of the show, right? I mean, sure, it, sure she's sure, so yeah. she's so villainous that it, it actually. The second point I want to bring up is there is a lot of debate online, a lot of conspiracy theories online as to how real the show is. Jeff Kanata, <laughs> you remember a few a few months ago we were talking about Cheer, which in my opinion mm. is still one of the greatest kind of documentary viewing experiences I've ever had. It's um, ex- exquisite. A really, really fun show. And yeah. we, had, we had this debate about, is this reality television or is this a documentary? Cheer right. was a documentary. Indian matchmaking is reality TV. Um, right. And in my opinion, I mean, it's clearly much more like reality TV. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I mean, the dates seem like really kind of um, set up. You know what I'm saying? Like it, se- it seems basically like the filmmakers are influencing what is happening somehow. Um, and one piece of evidence for that is that the, the filmmakers don't seem to be following the people around, right? Like they, they, they only are filming them during certain specific times. And it's like, huh. So there's, there's, <laughs> basically I'm like Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia pointing at the yarn wall and being like, is this, is Indian matchmaking actually real or not? You know, like uh, there's like <laughs> subreddits. I, that, I don't think Aparna's house is actually real because uh, – <laughs> This is one thing you'll learn the minute you see the show. She she lives in like what seems to be a ritzy neighborhood with huge houses, and her house is this like um, you know pretty small it's, it's ranch modest. right in the middle. It's very modest but also house. genius, genius real estate move apparently. So yeah, people gave her a lot of credit for that. I think it's yeah, hilarious. Maybe, but she, she is <laughs> she is so unlikable. It's it's like wow I, I i'm impressed you know like will ferrell doing the thing anchorman like i'm not even mad like i'm not even mad she's so unlikable that i'm like i mean i've never i've never seen someone like lose the goodwill of the audience that rapidly I, I feel like that that was maybe part of the point too of like finding her like somebody to break mumbai's best matchmaker just break her <laughs> completely <laughs> That's who yeah, her is. I love she, it. The, the, like the reason I watch this show and, or kept watching the show is to see Aparna's dates because <laughs> she guy. she it's literally everything she does is the exact opposite thing you should actually do on a date. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's incre- it's incredible. It's like, amazing. Uh, one, uh, one one poor guy was like. Um, 
Well, yeah, what would you do if you had like two weeks off or 10 days off or something? <laughs> and her response is like, why, why would I have 10 days off of not doing anything? Yeah, like, it, how, how it useless was, are it was like, you? Let's say you were on a 10-day vacation. Like, where, how would you relax? And, and she's like, yeah, why, yeah, why would yeah. I need to relax for 10 days? That doesn't make any sense. You know, <laughs> like she's naming her criteria in the first episode for uh, her dates. And she's like, oh, um, yeah, uh, I, I don't need a guy with a sense of humor because really, who likes that? You know, and uh, she, she, she's like, I once went on a date with a guy and I told him I was at, I was at the I, I love traveling and I was at the salt flats of Bolivia. And he was like, Bolivia has salt flats. And I'm like, yeah. And uh, I'm pretty shocked that you didn't know that Bolivia has salt flats. (laughs) And it's like, and in her criteria, it was like, you know, there's a graphic that's listing her criteria. She's saying it. It's like, must know Bolivia has salt flats. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, the moment that hit home to me the most, obviously, was I think Aparna's first date is this guy. The the TED Talk guy? In his description description of... His uh, in his bio data, he says he's a podcast host, and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> oh, this is boy. amazing! Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. There's a po- freaking podcast host on you. I look up his podcast on because he's a real dude. You see his name, <laughs> and uh, I look up his podcast, and it's like a really pretty popular podcast. It, mm-hmm. He's been doing it for hundreds of episodes. He Big, he gets paid to be like do speaking gigs. Yeah, do speaking like, gigs. He's, he does um, stuff. He, uh, it's, it's a, like, I looked up the iTunes reviews and he's like way more reviews than like culturally relevant, my podcast. (laughs) I'm like, this guy is on the up and up. He's a nice guy. He's good looking. Funny. Yeah. Yeah, Funny. They go on a date and then she's, you know, Aparna's talking it over with her mom and the matchmaker afterwards. And he's like, uh, he was not ambitious enough. And also Aparna's mom called him a loser. (laughs) Just like, Wow. No, she, it was, she it was at, Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> no, she looked at this guy's like really interesting media career. I was like, I don't think you're serious about a career because it's not like for it's not like following a very direct like, yeah. path. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, but I had to stop watching because oh my god, I'm not going to argue with her on that part. <laughs> you know? Basically, I'm saying that Indian matchmaking is a direct attack on everyone on this podcast. Yeah, uh, I you felt feel uh, I felt seen, and I had to leave the room. I do think it's really interesting. It's 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 a fast it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating show, and it basically shows you how certain people um, find their match. And I think that like yes, there there's really messed up conversations that happen. And I also think that like some people find the idea of an arranged marriage unimaginable. But right, what this strikes- is this also by the way is not like arranged like a true correct the whole correct. idea of arranged marriage is something your parents would do when you were like yeah. a kids and you, you know, you'd be set up and hey there there's a lot of good arguments for that and there are a lot of great arguments against our current um anything dating like in, right. in modern life i feel like this is a good balance of it's, it's kind um, of in between right because yeah, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, somebody be helping you and getting family approval but also it's really it's still up to you you're not being forced into anything yeah, that's right. That's right. So that's a big difference is like the people in the in the show, they have the option of deciding whether they want to proceed or not. But it's fascinating. For instance, like their first date often for these people is the the two people and their families. Like Yeah. yeah. Th- that's the first date. You're sitting with your family and the person and their family, right? And I think for a lot of people, that's going to be like, wow, I, I, I never could imagine doing that, right? Uh, and so it's, it's interesting. I also think that when like- When is that kind of time? 
<laughs> what'd, you, what'd you say, Jeff? You don't have that kind of time. Who has that kind of time? Like every time you want to go on a date, you got to get your entire family it's not to come. Every it just time, seems... it's just for the first one. Kind of like, hey, like, let's all get bring to your know bridge along. Are yeah. they cool? Like, is this yeah, person are they cool? Because cool you're marrying someone's family as well. I, I also think, like, I I get this kind of whiff of like a double standard. You know, guys, know? <laughs> in, in, in the sense that like the American shows on dating are so fucked. You know what yes. I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, married. Are you at kidding first, me? The yes. Bachelor, like how upsetting is the Bachelor as a concept? And like married at first sight, and like love at love is blind. All these shows are like deeply upsetting to my sense of morality and propriety. Garbage concepts. And yeah. the idea, yeah. the idea that like Indian matchmaking, you know, I feel like it should not be. Uh, you can you can say it's the same category as those other things that for sure I think that's very fair but like the idea that it is somehow worse in any way I just I reject that idea yeah, because yeah, yeah. Uh, the American reality TV dating slash marriage scene is so messed up and upsetting to me <laughs> is there I, I anyone don't feel saying like, that is there anyone saying this oh, is worse man. than the bachelor there, there's certainly a discourse out there i don't feel like this show like the main thing is these people don't <laughs> feel like they're going on a game show right whereas if you go on the bachelor it's like oh i'm i'm doing this to basically you know leg up my media business you know or to right. step into something else like it's always well, about the wait celebrity. for indian matchmaking season two oh Divinia. boy oh boy <laughs> uh let me just say uh i enjoyed the show i you know i think it's worth watching i can see why everybody dug it some of it felt a little too close to home for me so i was like i just had to step away um i do appreciate that one of the characters uh they actually have a guyanese you know indian girl in the show and she talks about that and that's not something uh, we talk about cultural representation right like i never see that i absolutely never ever see that so to see somebody like her on the show talking about her situation also the idea that you know somebody from guyana and somebody from the india the, the indian diaspora or something like it's you're not quite indian that is a very big concept too mm. within my community so it's it's something i feel like every you know every culture yeah. um it, like asian americans feel that as well when right. they're going I, I back to the their first time i saw that kind of discussed and my yeah. wife and i were watching we're like hey this is like devinger might know something about this situation you know that yeah it's it's that's screwed up. In the show yeah <laughs> yep yeah so the uh the documentary we talked about last week uh the game master one of the main characters, one of the four uh, aspiring game designers that they followed was a woman whose game was entirely about <laughs> rejecting <laughs> the notion. from matchmaking, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was hilarious. The, the game that she made literally had cards you can play like take an alcoholic drink in front of the matchmaker. And then that would like get you farther away from the matchmaker. Cause she's yeah. like, Oh, I don't want to set anybody up with her. Cause she might be an alcoholic and all these things, you know, all these strange uh, things that this, this game designer had pulled from her own actual experience. She's like, you know, people laugh at this stuff, but I didn't make it up. It is that mm -hmm. it's real. And I thought uh, I'm just reminded of that. I thought that was very insightful and interesting. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think I think some insights to glean from this show, and I think it's worth kind of checking out, even even if the entire thing is scripted and fake. Uh, <laughs> I do think it still offers some insights that are worth examining. So, and I do think, by the way, the possibility of being entirely scripted and fake is moderate to high. Mm -hmm. um, so, but that's Indian matchmaking. It's on Netflix. I would like yep. I would like to know, uh, you know, as someone who's been accused of of single handedly destroying. <laughs> Uh, smart, interesting filmmaking. Uh, I would like to know if we talk about 
first cow longer than we talk about Indian matchmaking <laughs> yeah, in this episode. True. It's true. Listen, we talked about the mouse for a long time, too. Like, <laughs> we're we're all over the place here. It's true. Um, I'll cop to first that. mouse, next first cow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's Indian matchmaking. I had a few other things I want to talk about, but we are running out of time. So I'm going to skip to you, Jeff. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need to take much time either. Um, I had a chance to watch uh, the documentary Freestyle Love Machine. Um, and I can't remember where I watched it. Was it on Apple it's, TV? It's Hulu. Hulu? Hulu. Yeah. Hulu? Yeah. Hulu. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I turn on my Roku and they're all there. Um, so I, I apologize for not remembering that. But it is uh, the, the a documentary about Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, improvised hip-hop group that he was in before he ever wrote... Hamilton, mm-hmm. uh, and it's sort of uh, chronicling a reunion show and I guess tour that they did at some point. Um, uh, let me just jump in, Jeff. The documentary is named Freestyle Love Supreme. It's about Supreme. Freestyle I Love said Machine. Machine. I yeah. meant Supreme. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. And, and it, also the group is named Supreme. Uh, Freestyle Love Supreme. Um, and uh, you know, if you like Hamilton, if you like hip hop, if you like clever improvised uh, comedy. Uh, it hits all those boxes. It is a very, very clever concept. Um, as somebody who has performed improv a lot in my life, was in improv teams and performed in front of audiences l- l- many, many, many places, many, many, many times, um, and did improvised musical comedy and did all, all kinds of stuff where you have to rhyme. Uh, seeing this concept is just so brilliant. It's 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 basically going to see an improv show, going to see, you know, take an, a suggestion from the audience and make a scene about it, except here the scene is wrapped it is a it's a hip-hop song and uh the most extraordinary element of it is the the person in freestyle love supreme who does all the music is just beatboxing it's a human being Mm -hmm. there's no drum machine there's no synthesizer although i guess they do have some they have a pianist but uh the beats are all a a person's mouth for you know an hour plus uh, every night it's an extraordinary just feat of endurance that you witness um, and, uh, they all seem very talented, very fun. Uh, a lot of the rhymes are fun. It's just cool seeing the dedication to the craft and how there's a lot of, uh, sort of homemade old footage of them when they were, you know, before Lin-Manuel was a household name and, and, you know, and they were sort of just on the street kind of busking this, this concept, which I love seeing because I've done a lot of that myself as well. And it's a charming thing. And, and the commitment to this craft, the constant rehearsing and training and honing their ability to come up with great rhymes and and and, and beats and do all the the stuff is inspirational and fun. I think the movie as a documentary is a bit more of a uh love letter to itself than than uh <laughs> perhaps it needed to be that it's a, it's sitting around like goes through each of the members of the team and everybody else on the team talks about how great that member is for a while. And, and that's charming, but it also feels like, no, just show me them doing their thing. I don't need them all to be waxing poetic about how great it is to be with that person for these number of years. Uh, it could have just been showing me their skills, which I would have garnered how great they are. Because they are all very, uh, very, very good at what they do. Uh, so I, I, I recommend, especially if you're, if you're a fan of Hamilton, if you're a ha- fan of Lin-Manuel... Uh, it's it's really charming to see it if you're a fan of hip hop and uh, the marriage of hip hop and comedy specifically is really fun to see because it feels novel and interesting. Cool. Well, that is freestyle love supreme. 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 Yes. <laughs> freestyle love machine. supreme on Hulu. It's my my mistake. Jeff, you don't know where you watched it. You don't know what the title is. Did you? This is a movie you watched, right? 
I'm just joking. Um, Maybe. What, what there's, else? A, there's a mouse in my house, so I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you watch anything else, Jeff? Yeah, real quick. Uh, somebody recommended, I, again, I wish I could recall who it was that recommended this, but I got a, a tweet from somebody saying uh, if I enjoyed, as I said I did, um, um, extraordinary, uh, the world's most extraordinary homes, which I watched on uh, on Netflix and talked about last week. Somebody recommended uh, another show that is on Apple TV, and it is called Home, just called Home. Yes. And uh, this is a really cool show. This is a really, really cool show. I mean, it is the same idea as this sort of HGTV, you know, look at amazing architecture. But what those shows never do and what this show does is it it takes an entire episode and goes deep, not just on the architecture, not just on the, the physical uh, you know, um, dimensions and, 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 and layout of the house that's unique and interesting, but the people that built it, that live there, how they live there, why they live there, how they made it, what, what's the, what is the functionality of the home? Uh, the first episode is, uh, this sort of greenhouse house that, uh, is completely, uh, eco-friendly. They use, reuse all the water. It's, it, the water is used to make these plants. The plant, plants grow fruit they, and vegetables, and they use that in their home. It, it goes into all the details that you never really get with shows like that, and I, I really dig it. I haven't watched uh, more than a few episodes of it, but I plan to. It's it's good good COVID viewing because it, it's, um, it feels like traveling. Mm-hmm. It feels like seeing uh, unique, novel places, and you feel kind of good. It's, it's wholesome and, and um, well-shot, beautifully shot. Uh, it's called Home. It's on Apple TV. It's kind of like the chef's table of deconstructing, you know, these beautiful artistic yeah. achievements. So, yeah, I've seen it, too. It's a uh, it's very good. I would recommend travel shows right now if you're all like, you know, climbing the walls and wanting to get out there because there's so much good stuff people have not seen. And uh, shout out to like all of Anthony Bourdain's stuff, too. Like if you guys have not seen that, get on it. Enjoy it. Love it. Apple TV Plus still so weird to me as a service, I think, because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. stuff shows up there. I, I hear, I personally, in my own bubble, hear very little buzz about it. <laughs> and I mean, I think that like, I got the free year of Apple TV Plus, right? Because I bought yeah. an iPhone And a lot last of year. people did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I am not going to renew that when it's over. I mean, are mm-hmm. you guys going to? I don't like... I'm expecting to get another free year with my new, <laughs> next yeah. new iPhone. I don't yeah. think it works like that. I think you only get one free year, is, is well, my understanding. Uh, uh, nobody's told me otherwise yet, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Jeff, by the way, be sure to check out Central Park, which I think you will absolutely love. Yeah. I've heard that's good as well, yeah. Been yeah. meaning to watch that, yeah. But anyway, the TV show's home. Um, Jeff, this is another Apple TV Plus thing you shouted on the podcast uh, that I'm going to go check out now because you said it. Um, the <laughs> I think other- you'll like it, Dave. It really, it's really very... It's just such a different angle on what is a tried and true formula. A tried and true formula I actually like. It's not like I'm sick of just seeing the awesome architecture. Like right. I'm into that also. But then this added layer, it's 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 just a deeper version of any of those shows. And and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm down for this. We, but I get so getting to my question though, uh, behind what I said is like, would you pay whatever the six dollars a month it is for Apple TV Plus at this point? Oh man, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the, the Somebody just needs to bundle these in some sort of like just wrap them together with some sort of cable. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I, I wish I wish they could be all bundled together and delivered to your house via a cable of some kind. Mm-hmm, that would mm-hmm, be amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. charge just one price for all of it together. One price, and I don't have to think about it. I just get a whole bunch of uh, yeah. we'll call them channels. Yeah, yeah. You know? you, I mean, you get some that you like and some that you wouldn't like, right? 
But well, you don't know. Maybe sometime you want to watch that channel that you didn't know you didn't want. You, you know can what just I'm like flip through them sometimes and just see like maybe there's something. Oh, on that'd here that be I even want. better if you could just like click through quickly. Yeah, uh, with like a remote the, or, or if something. there was some. Yeah, there was some universal guide that showed you what was on all the different channels at any given time. That'd be cool too. Yeah, you know? yeah. Better yet, the, if you could digitally video record some of them. <laughs> You, you guys are going way backwards in time and looping back around to when it sucked, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> like you're going from the olden days to like a, when it became a problem. <laughs> we want to live right in that space when it became awful. <laughs> All right. That's what we've been watching. That's home on Apple TV Plus. I'm going to check it out. All right. Uh, let's move on. Before I get to our review of First Cow, we got to thank people who donated to this podcast. Dan Kleinberg. Uh, Henrik from Norway, Mary Ellen Porto, and William Kang, who writes, Dear Slash Filmcast, love the show. I had, have had the pleasure and challenge of raising two beautiful twin girls who just turned one. I have made several boneheaded moves, such as forgetting to put on a diaper before dressing my baby girl, accidentally leaving a waistcloth inside the diaper to be found later by my wife. Washcloth is very different than a waistcloth. Oh, washcloth, yes, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Dressing my girls in cute dresses. Waistcloth? Is that what Tarzan wears? It's just a poopy, one of the poopy wipes is just stuck in there. Oh, well. Dressing my girls in cute dresses, but putting them on backwards, et cetera, et cetera. What do we call these events? Dad moves. So as an uncool dad, I agree. Dad movie is most definitely a pejorative. Uh, Sean H. uh, wrote in, this is specifically a donation to give props to the incredible Hamilton limerick that Jeff did. Nice. Um, So thanks for that, Jeff. And also, I still have to split it three ways, but go ahead. Thomas Lane, uh, who donated as well. And also Eric Webster, who wrote in, uh, wondering how David's nipple cream worked out for him. So I got to explain about this nipple cream. There's a story uh, there. Yeah. Are you sure? Uh, I'm good. I'm look, good, actually. I'll do like a... Like- I'll do like 30 seconds of the nipple cream, okay? I feel like the sentence, I gotta explain about this nipple cream, (laughs) never really true, you know? Mm. Never ever a situation where that's true. I'll just say, uh, and I'm gonna probably make a video or write a blog post or something about this, but like I use a CPAP machine to sleep and um, it basically is a mask. You put it on, it makes sure your stupid body knows to breathe Mm -hmm. while you're sleeping. Um, and, uh, you need to put a mask on, right? And I have a mask that goes into my nose and it, uh, it gives me kind of like, my, my nose gets kind of sore on the inside of my nostrils. And I looked online, I was like, this is a real problem for me. This is really hurting. Uh, and online, uh, they suggested put on this substance called lanolin, which is generally used for women who have been breastfeeding, um, to soothe, uh, sore nipples. Um, but I ordered it and, uh, I use it on the inside of my nose. I use this nipple cream on the inside of my nose mm. and it works really well. So for all the people the out there, cool story, that, bro. Uh, the problem is that babies now want to suckle your nose. That's uh, true. <laughs> so I just want to say, just want to say, uh, don't be ashamed of, uh, using nipple cream on the inside of your nose. Okay. I know there's people out there that are wondering about that. <laughs> all right. Thanks for all the donations. If you want to support this podcast, Go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Never donate if it in any way causes you hardship uh, or takes away from anything else you want to donate to. But if you want to throw some cash our way, we'd really appreciate you going to paypal.me slash filmcast or using the slash filmcast links on the slash film.com website. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Of course, you can always support us for free by going to the Apple Podcast uh, listing and leaving a review or star rating. Just takes a few seconds. 
Let's get to our review of Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born, and then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. It's no place for a white man either. I sense opportunity here. Good lord, give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in this game. Take what we can when the taking is good. It seems dangerous. So is anything worth doing? That was from the trailer for First Cow, the new film by Kelly Reichardt. Um, and it was based off the novel The Half-Life, written by Jonathan Raymond. And uh, Jonathan Raymond and Kelly Reichardt also did the screenplay for this movie. I'm going to read the plot summary from First Cow. Now, I do want to call out that this is one of those movies where it's very easy to watch this movie without knowing anything <laughs> about it. Yeah. So yes. if I didn't know anything Highly about recommended. it, right? Yeah. So if you don't want to know the premise of the movie, then uh, sk- you know you should just skip this entire portion of the review. But I'm going to read the premise of it. Uh, so here's the premise of First Cow, and we'll have spoilers later. A skilled cook has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune. Soon the two collaborate on a successful business. Devinder Hardwar. What say you about First Cow? Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's a film I've heard a lot of good things about, but it's also, you know, it's one of those where I've uh, I've seen some of Kelly Reichardt's movies and I enjoy them, but I also find sometimes that they're hard to process or to really get. I'm trying to think of, uh, what was the one? The Meek's Cutoff, mm. which was her, like, uh, her kind of feminist-oriented Western. And I like that movie, but I wanted to like it more. I just feel like her movies tend to leave me wanting in a way. And I found this one to be just really heartwarming and interesting because it's ultimately about a friendship uh, between these two men trying to scrape by and make their own in a very, very early New York. and uh, Not New York, uh, early U.S., uh, kind of the Pacific Northwest area. And it's a depiction of that time that I don't think we've really seen before. It really reminds me of Deadwood. In a way, it's just dirty and grimy and people just doing their best to kind of scrape by. Um, And yeah, it it feels like such a quintessential early American story, right? Because the only way these guys can really survive is to, uh, you know, basically steal to find, you know, the American dream. And, uh, yeah, there are problems with that, as uh, as we'll learn. But uh, I really enjoyed it. It's an easy watch. Um, I have to say the opening of this movie threw me for a loop a little. Because I yeah. knew it was going to be a period um, Kelly Reichardt movie. And then it opens with, like, a, a modern-looking chip. And then <laughs> Aliyah Shawkat walks onto the screen. Yeah. And it's all very confusing. Um, but I like that opening sequence because it really does set up of, like, you know, where is the story going? Oh, it's not probably not going to end well, um, but it was an interesting framing device. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on First Cow? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts on First Cow are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Mm. 
All right. I never liked how the 4 by 3 looked. <laughs> and it took a while for me to get hooked. But if you stick through the slow, you'll be glad that you know how this delicious confection is cooked. Wow. Very Pretty nice. good. Pretty good, Jeff. I Thank like you. I like the confection part, tying it in, because mm -hmm. it's a double. There's many layers in that one, Jeff. Right? <laughs> Trying, man. Because it, it's not just the actual confection of the movie. You're also referring to the movie itself. Wait, what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are very, very few movies where after 20 minutes of me going. Nah, I'm not gonna like this. Yeah, yeah. It turns me around. Very few movies. You know, my my gut, my uh, my my developing impression. There are movies where I'm like, oh, this is interesting. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, it gets really good. There are movies where it's like I love it immediately and I yeah. love it even more by mm -hmm. the end. There are movies where I love it at the beginning and I get disappointed by the end. There are very few movies where I'm like, oh boy, I am not into this for like. 20 minutes a half an hour honestly that's exactly what i was thinking was man i bet jeff is gonna hate this as i'm watching <laughs> is, it i'm like this is not jeff for jeff Kanata. yeah that's what i was thinking. Yeah. yeah not not my jam at all until it was until it was until that it cow a... appeared right well yeah i guess i mean it was actually a, about a half sense. an hour 45 minutes into the movie yeah yeah the cow that's like shows up on a boat and you're like oh there's the first cow i guess i guess we're finally at the first cow i don't know <laughs> what's this movie even want from me you know what are you even asking of me mm. where i had no i had no idea what was going no idea what this cow movie was about come on sells itself yeah. Well, you know, you're right. At the beginning, you know, maybe comes on, <laughs> and then it's, it's it. I'm like, what kind of person <laughs> keeps digging? You know, like, are we gonna address that? You know, what kind of person finds what she finds and then keeps digging? Uh, I, I would probably keep digging just because you could you can tell like you, from what she found that it's like, oh, this is this is not like a recent murder. You know, this is probably dude, been here. For I a don't while. know. It's pretty I, cool. I, the first time I saw Bone, I'd be like, I gotta call someone else yeah. to do this. Yeah, same. No, same. for sure, for sure. Same. Yeah. Um, Even just for culpability reasons, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Culpability and like, am I disturbing a crime scene right, right now? Yeah. Like, like what, what is this about? Yeah. Um, anyway, so that was weird. I was thrown off. Like, she does this weird, like, look around and then she just keeps on digging. I'm like, who does that? This is the most exciting thing that happened to me in, yeah, months. Let's do this. <laughs> Yeah. This is actually then, true. Oh, sorry. sorry go, go ahead, Jeff. I don't want to step on No, go ahead, Dave. What are you well, going to say? Well, did you guys hear this story? There's this, um, this is app called like Retronautica, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It just yeah. sends you to places. It sends you to yeah. places. Uh, uh, Randonautica. And yeah. uh, it, it like gives you coordinates and you go to this random place and you can discover things. Uh, this is kind of like geocaching, which I think. Geocaching yeah. is you guys do this? Awesome. You guys do this on, am I remembering you did a totally rad show about this? Or, yes, yeah. I, I got really into geocaching. In fact, I'm so looking forward to when my kids get old enough, we're going to get. And, you know, the world is, <laughs> um, you know, Better. venturable yeah. again. But I would really like to get into geocaching with my kids because it's awesome. Geocaching is awesome. But. That's because there is gold at the end of the rainbow every time, you know, for geocaching. This right. this randonautica thing is just like, oh, you went to a place and maybe there's a shoe. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, that's right. Uh, well, somebody was randonauticaing near my house, um, and near my house, I mean, like a couple miles away, not like ten feet away. Uh, and they found, they found the remains what you buried of, in the backyard. They, yeah. they found the remains of two humans in plastic bags on the beach. 
Jesus um, seems so like a problem. Like, that happened like a couple weeks ago. It was really upsetting. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so uh, I thought about that when I watched this movie. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like I was saying, then weird transition <laughs> yep. back to th- this. Going back. Um, it, that's what happened with this movie is that, you know, the first half hour, it's really slow. It's kind of impenetrable. It doesn't really set up anything in any discernible way. And then all of a sudden, these characters, stuff starts happening, and it becomes this really beautiful, subtle story that has stakes in a not a, a super overt way, but it it's it's very gentle, like rolling down the hill kind mm-hmm. of story. You mm-hmm. just sort of you don't even realize you're moving at first, and you go like, "When does this ride start?" And then at a certain point, you're like, "Oh, I guess we are moving." Oh my goodness, <laughs> look at that, we're moving. And then at a certain point, you're like, "Wow, I'm I'm really invested in these people and these this these characters, and I'm actually worried about them in, ver- in a very serious way." And that scene I saw at the beginning. There's this like sense of foreboding over everything, yeah, and it, it's a really kind of interesting structure to a movie. It is is unconventional, and as Devinder was kind of referring to as well, this is a version of Gold Rush era that you don't really see. It it, it becomes so real what it must have been like for those people. There's no romance in this movie mm-hmm. at all. There's no this romantic notion of going out on the prairie and, you know, even movies like, um, I don't know, like there will be blood or, or uh, what was the movie we saw recently with the, um, the person like going out and digging and it was brutal. It was digging, but there was still this sort of like romantic notion of like being in this untouched countryside. This movie has none of that. This is like, (laughs) it's filthy. The people are uncomfortable and unhappy. Like, Nothing about this looks appealing to me at in any way at all. They're all horrible, you know, hungry, starving, just was it the, uncomfortable was it wearing the, the same bloods? clothes every day. The Five Bloods? Is that the one with the digging? No, no, no. It was, um, I can't remember what it is. It doesn't now matter. Now I'm like, I'm uh, like what, what are you talking about, Jeff? What, what movie had digging, digging in what? it? There was a Capone? movie that had like f- different vignettes. <laughs> it was like Popo? four... Oh no! It was um, it was the the Coen Brothers movie oh, uh, on Netflix. Oh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yes, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah, that, that was yeah. like a that year was a ago. Very Jeff. clean dig. Yeah, that was a year right. ago. <laughs> it was a year ago, but it was still you know I don't know. Time is a flat circle, Dave. Yeah, no, fair um, enough. <laughs> two years ago, I think. Uh, actually. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, but th- I remember that scene of like this. You know, it, it was this rugged, you know, digging out there, and it was yeah, it was dangerous and it was dusty and dirty, but it didn't it didn't feel real because he was in a perfect idyllic valley in that movie it was everything was beautiful yeah yeah and this this felt like people who've been living in muck for (laughs) months at a time you know it it didn't feel hollywood it didn't feel like a set it didn't it just felt like i had this visceral sense of what it must have actually been like and it was revolting you know it reminded me about it that's of uh the revenant honestly a little bit, yeah. In the sense of like how unpleasant frontier life must have been, right? I'm just gonna totally. say, guys, we were born at. Uh, I mean, may, maybe a little bit off, but like we were maybe born at like off. the correct point in time in history, in the sense that none of us would have survived that. You know what I mean? Seriously. Sure just, well, it w- yeah. Now we're facing another test. I was thinking while watching this movie, man, people struggled really to build this this country into something. And it's all falling apart. 
because some people don't want to wear paper over their face. Oh, there's this it's line. Amazing. There's this line in the movie that's so heartbreaking about like how uh, the the character, one of the main characters, right, says history hasn't happened here yet or something like yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. this, this is untouched by history, and it's like, oh, well, like we had the chance to write it in a in a good way, and and we've completely botched it. I I love movies that make food look extraordinary, you know? And this movie, like the simplest food made me, made my mouth water. Mm-hmm. It, it, it this is, is the a, Tom Popo of like frontier food. Basically. Yes, it's totally Tom Popo. It is totally Tom Popo. And, and I thought this was a sort of a beautiful friendship. It, it, um, it arrived in a place that I just, uh, I, I didn't see coming. And the menace of the last act is, Inevitable, but also sort of not overt, right? It, it doesn't mm-hmm. come down hard. It doesn't create this thriller tension. And yet I felt the tension because of just how simply it set everything up. Uh, it's a, I think it's a really fascinating movie. I just wish it was shot in a... Yeah. You know, in a in a widescreen format. I don't I, like the four by three. I, I I was watching the behind the, the this movie only has like seven minutes of behind the scenes stuff, unfortunately. But I I wish it was longer. Um, Kelly Reichardt was saying like she likes the format because it really makes you focus on human faces, and this movie is like mostly close ups and you know single shots of just one person. But I I do kind of hear you, Jeff. Like this is a movie where it's like, man, I really. I need that scope. And maybe it's just like we're a little spoiled by the widescreen aesthetic. Um, but also like my I don't have like a giant TV set up right now. I don't have my projector set up. So I was watching this on my like 55 inch OLED and, you know, that box is smaller than I'd want it to be. Um, yeah. So th- there is that. But that's that's like a quibble. I can see why she sticks with this format. And I do like it seeing I like it deployed for period movies like this sometimes. In an interview uh, with IndieWire, it looks like she did say she had like mild regrets about the 4x3 if she had known that mm. it would go straight to VOD. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah that makes it, sense. This movie was supposed to be out in theaters. So. Yeah. And this, this, by the way, is a movie. Like, give me, I love a slow, lang- like, languorous ride in an indie in a, in a theater where I'm just trapped there and I have to like sit yeah. through right. it. I have to watch it. And when you're at home, a movie like this is so much harder to really. I, I'm like, gonna crack. acknowledge. Agree. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I, I was just gonna say, I, I I think that if we weren't reviewing this, I probably would have turned it off after 25 minutes. Same, you know, I would. Hundred percent same. I'll say that I uh, p- put my phone down. I started watching. <laughs> yes, it. I'm like, I'm like, your phone not down. gonna pick up the phone. Not gonna pick up the phone. Right. I'm gonna focus and have an experience. Um, didn't make it more than 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> and. You know, uh, I it's not like I spent we're, the whole time broken. on the phone or anything we're like that. broken people. That's what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Well, also, this is a particularly brutal film <laughs> if you if you are easily distracted as I am. So yes. Yes. I think that... Um, I, he, let me share my thoughts on the movie, which is that uh, I think it is unique. It's it's, ama- it's it's just like you will not see another movie like this uh, at all this year. And that's that's mm-hmm. what's great about it. Um, it has Dude, I, real quick, Dave, I, I told my wife the plot because she's like, what did you watch last night? I was like, the first count. She's like, oh, what's it about? And I, I said the plot out loud and I was like, this is, they made a movie about that plot. It's insane. <laughs> it's a, it's, but it's a really good cow. You got to see this cow. The cow is legitimately beautiful, actually. I yeah. do think like it has <laughs> amazing actor. eyes. Good actor. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
what is great about this movie is like, okay, there's so many things in this movie you don't see depicted. A frontier life, we've mm-hmm. already said. Um, this kind of fairly tender male friendship that I, like mm-hmm. I actually thought it might be a, like a homosexual relationship at first, but it's I don't I don't think it's that at all really. Um, no. But you don't you don't see this kind of like these types of guys on screen that often and kind of just being like, hey, um, uh, let's be friends. You know, we're 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 like both like nice people and we have we're kind of compatible as people and like let's just be friends. And it's like oh, what a nice. What a nice mm-hmm. little friendship they have, and I think they that's... kind of were like the the Jobs and Wozniak of the frontier land, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, it it opens with uh, what um, a, like uh, the this quote, right? Like a bird, a nest, a spider, a web, man, friendship. The mm-hmm. the the bird, a nest, the spider, a web, man, friendship. That's William Blake, um, which I think. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a lovely sentiment, and it's it's carried out in the the primary relationship of this movie. Uh, I also think uh, you guys have talked about the plot of the movie being very atypical, but I don't recall ever seeing a Chinese American being depicted with any kind of inner life. Yep. During the American frontier, like in my entire life, right? De- like in Deadwood, it's just the butcher guy, and like, yeah, no inner life there at all. So it's just like whoa, like yeah. It it was really amazing for me to see that. Like I've I've heard I've heard tell of Chinese Americans during that time. You know, like I've heard that like sure. Chinese Americans like built the railroads and we we're like Some, somebody built those things. Yeah, yeah, instrumental in like in the formation of this country. But I've never seen it depicted on screen like this before. And so for me, it was just incredible that. Um, uh, Orion Lee, who I thought does, does a great job as King mm-hmm. Lou, right? To see that character be a major uh, part of this story. Um, and it kind of like is like, hey, yeah, like Asian Americans did have a part uh, in, in the founding of America and in the creation of this country. And that's amazing to see. I think, you know, I talked about how I got easily distracted. The movie is slow. I'm just, I'm just going to say, like, in my opinion, it's a slow movie and not that much happens from a plot perspective. But mm-hmm. if you stick with it, which Jeff, I think you and I uh, both had challenges doing, but once we, if you stick with it, I do think it yeah. will reward you, right? And I think yeah. once people Agreed. start talking, I think it really gets you. Like it really <laughs> once you. there like, is the dialogue. Once there is once dialogue, something happens. Through that, <laughs> once I feel events like, occur, yeah, <laughs> you know, King Lou as a character is really interesting because he's talking about like, yeah, I went to South Africa, I went to Egypt, I went all over the world, and I'd, I'd love to hear more about the adventures of this guy. Because he's such an interesting character, I was wondering like what is driving him, what is driving you know Cookie to really you know do his thing. Like I, they're really driven people in really interesting ways. And I also really like what they did with Toby Jones in this movie because he's he's just kind of a kind of a shitbag. So it's like you feel okay <laughs> that they're just like stealing his milk. Sorry, drank his milkshake literally. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, before we get to spoilers, I do just want to say I think the movie like looks great as well in terms mm-hmm. of um, you know putting aside the four by three component. I think that they really convinced me that this took place hundreds of years in the past. Right. I yeah. think the costumes yeah. are amazing. the costumes are amazing. The the locations are amazing, and they obviously they shot in uh, locate. Uh, from my perspective, they shot in locations that um, are like remote but still relatively close to civilization. And mm-hmm. so uh, I, I thought they did a great job in terms of the look of this movie. So 
at the end of the day, I think it's uh, unique and it's it's lovely, and I would recommend it. So sounds like we all liked it. It's first cow. Let's get the spoilers starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're gonna see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not gonna see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So I'm just gonna say I called the ending in the sense of. There's that guy. You saw the first five minutes of the movie. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. But I there's mean, a guy waiting in line for the biscuit, and then this, yeah. this dude cuts him. Yeah, and you yeah. see, you linger on that guy's disappointed look well, for yeah. for a long yeah. time, and it's like that guy's gonna be a serial killer. <laughs> that was my reaction, and it turns out he's the guy that probably killed them both. Mm-hmm. I think, right? I mean, or at least shot one because I'm pretty sure Cookie was dying already. He he was he Might was uh, in a bad shape from a huge bump on the noggin, basically, yeah. right? Um, so we're supposed to believe, though, that they lay down next to each other, they die, someone murders them, yes. and buries them-ish, and sure. no one stumbles on them for a hundred years until maybe in her dogs? Like, it, it just feels so <laughs> improbable to me. Well, they're they're in the middle of uh, nowhere, basically, right? They're trying to get out, they're, they're in the middle of nowhere. So it's not, like, yeah, they're on, it's not like they're on a path or anything, or a road or anything. So, because that guy, the serial killer guy, was tracking them. You know, he was tracking them. I like how we're convinced he's a serial killer. (laughs) Um, So, I I do think it's cool that this answer, this this movie answers the question: Why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? (laughs) Bing, yeah, boom goes the dynamite. Yeah, but you know, you know, I mean, from the moment where he's like we shouldn't do this anymore. And he's like, well, we got to do it one more time. And you're like, well, <laughs> one, they, one got, last they got greedy. They got greedy was like, the problem. If they just stopped I liked right there, that the, the, the petard upon which they were hoisted was not the petard I thought would, would be. I did not see breaking branch coming. <laughs> I, I did wonder why he was up there on that branch because it's like, man, that thing is freaking. Yeah, they, 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 I know, but it was creaking yeah. already. Like, come on, man. I did not see that coming. I thought there was going to be some sort of uh, cow mishap or some sort of <laughs> noisy cow. I did not see dude falling because branch breaks. That, I do, that I do think that funny. that scene was a great way of showing how you do a low-budget guy falling from tree, right? Because <laughs> they clearly didn't have the budget to actually do it from a special effects standpoint. So it's, it's literally, you hear, the guy leans on the tree, you hear creaking, then a massive noise cut to the tree <laughs> branch is broken. Then yeah. you don't need to film it at all. Like it's just like oh, the the viewer just fills it. it in, and uh, it's a it's elegant way of getting past what I'm sure was a budgetary limitation there. Because I'm sure they would have. I'm guessing maybe they would have enjoyed filming the actual guy falling from the tree. I don't know. Um, I don't think they had the budget for like massive stunts in this movie. So. Anyway, the 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 chutzpah to 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 feed the dude his own cow milk, yes, in 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 biscuit form, uh, pretty pretty rad. But I think there's, you know, it reminded me of um, Parasite in some ways, right? The movie Parasite, mm-hmm. which by the way, I think I believe Bong Joon Ho has said he is a great admirer of Kelly Reichardt. Um and yeah. I think that uh, this idea of Hey, these people who are poor are extremely enterprising and very intelligent and highly skilled, and they just don't have the capital. 
right? They they just mm-hmm. need they need a capital. They need a one million dollar loan from their dad, basically, um, to get started. Yeah. Uh, some people have described this as the story of the uh, America's first ever fr- uh, hipster food truck. Which I think is <laughs> wait, totally. You need uh, you need a loan from the bank. You know, you need a loan to to start things up. And um, if you don't have that, sometimes you need to take extreme measures to do it. Um, but dude, I, I was I'm I'm not I wasn't joking when I said they were basically the Jobs and Wozniak. You know, like <laughs> like he, you know uh, the the cook is is Wozniak. You know, he's got all the skills yeah, yeah, and yeah. and he's. Uh, you know, he's kind of just like wants, wants, only cares about the, the craft and kind of, you know, doesn't really care about making all the money in the world. And then he finds himself a, a real entrepreneur who's got, you know, he's got the business sense and knows how to like do a racket, make a racket out of the whole thing. Yep. And, uh, it's cool. It's it nice they, to see how their personalities were pretty well drawn and complimented each other. Mm-hmm. I, I did like yeah. seeing that. Um, a couple of things were confusing to me about this movie. One is, there was a time jump that happened after Cookie first caught that fish in the stream, I think, right? Yeah. And it yeah. jumps like yeah. years into the future, I believe. Yes. And I'm just, that was really confusing to me because I was like, I wanted to see Cookie go back to camp and, and shove that fish in that guy's face, right? Because <laughs> the guy who was like, you're not finding well, enough food for us. Well, and, also the dude, like it, it sets up, you know, Chekhov's... Uh, uh, standoff after you get your silver that we never see fire. Yeah, right? I'm like, what, what happened the, with that guy? You know, like the dude's like, as soon as you get your silver, I'm gonna screw you up. Yeah, and, it's, and, and, and then never we never see, see the result of that. Yeah. yeah. And then there's uh, they're in the bar and the guy starts fighting and then he, he leaves a baby there for him. And, so disturbing. And then the, baby. The, so disturbing. The, the, the uh, King Lou is like, hey, don't worry about the baby. It's gonna be fine. And then you never learn what happens to the baby. I think right. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly not fine. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just like uh, that seemed like he could take random, care of himself. What a random yeah. detail, though. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's so unnerving to me that whole sequence of the the dude getting messed with and yeah. deciding he's just gonna beat the crap out of that, and then like hold my baby while I get into yeah. this bar fight. But also, what is that tiny dude doing? Like fighting, a, like basically teasing a bear. Like, what do you think is gonna happen to you right now? Yeah, so? yeah, yeah. And you never learn what happens to that fight or anything like that. Yeah, it's just yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah. But. All of that was before I liked the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just these weird <laughs> notes that kind of add some texture. Oh, and also there's this one point where King Lou and Cookie are walking home and there's this old guy sweeping mm-hmm. up his doorstep and he kind of gives them this dirty look. And I'm like, when are we going to find out what happens with that guy? And like, we never go back yeah. to that guy. And it's just all these things and, I'm like, huh. Yeah, and there's another part where the guy's like, sure looks like Jean-Baptiste's boots. And I'm like... Whoa, that, that seems like a very important key yeah. plot point like, that you yeah. need to remember. Yeah. Nope, nope, we're done. Um, so no, I don't know who John Pan- <laughs> Baptiste is and why those boots look familiar. Did like did Cookie murder somebody? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just a, <laughs> hey, these things, random little touches of texture. So anyway, uh, thought I'd bring those up. But uh, last question, which is uh, how did knowing, like I, I think the, the implication of the beginning is we kind of know that this is the same geographic area as where the movie takes place, right? Mm-hmm. The Aaliyah Shawkat scene. And so yeah. we know basically these guys never make it out of there, right? Now, right. to me, there's still the open question, like maybe the skeletons aren't those guys, right? Like maybe right. there's going to be this big reveal of like... Maybe it's another right. two it's people not, curled up next to each other on the ground. They murdered yeah. people it's or something. It's not old yeah. Tom Hanks. It's old Matt Damon at the end of Saving Private Ryan. You know, like maybe it's a <laughs> yeah, whole yeah. different dude. Um, but no, and, and, and I mean, like, I think we, you know, we probably felt like it was probably those two guys. How did knowing that their story would end 
with them dying unmourned in a forest, how did that impact watching the movie for you? Well, you know, it's sort of like um, going to a real funeral instead of going to a fake funeral <laughs> where you know the stakes. You bring it all the back. Story. You bring it all yeah. back to Vinny. Well yeah. done. Love it. But, well uh, done, I, I do think that's it. Like you do when you do this on purpose, and this is like a noir thing too. You, when you do that, you're setting up the, the dramatic stakes. It's like, oh, this is not going to go well. But to me, that makes me more interested in terms of what's happening because I feel like that gets you through the slower bits. It's like, okay, so it's going to go bad enough that these two will die right next to each other. So I want to see like what gets to that point, at least for me. Yeah, It hangs over the entire movie throughout yeah. it. it. It's this this ominous pall that you carry with you throughout the entire movie knowing... Well, we're getting, we're ended up in a bad way. Uh, and that's interesting. I think that's an interesting choice. It also allows the end of the movie to just sort of cut off and you can put the two and two together, which is kind of a lovely thing to let that happen in our mind. Yeah. If we didn't have that scene in the beginning, it would need to be more explicit mm-hmm. how they, right. how their, you know, that, their fate that ends. is interesting. You know, I haven't, it, it's rare that I have, have seen that before where like, for instance, like in a JJ Abrams movie, right? Like um, mission impossible three. Right, you'll see. Oh, hey, they start with like the action. Something really interesting's happening. Cut back in time and then lead up to everything that happened to that moment. Right, mm-hmm. that, and then that, go past it. Yeah, and then go past it. That is so free. Not just J.J. Abrams. Like that is a very frequently used filmmaking technique um, these days. But I haven't. It's been rarer to see a thing where you start in the future and then cut to the background and then never get to the future again. Right. Right. And then you need to fill in all the blanks. That's very cool. That's very interesting. And of course, there's no way you could reverse the order and, and have it have the same impact. Right. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't yep. put the Aaliyah Shawkat scene afterwards because then it's like, what a random weird scene. I mean, you yeah. you would. I still felt that way watching it at the beginning, but you don't want to leave the the people in the movie feeling that. Right. Like at the end. Um. So very interesting. Very interesting way to do it. Interesting way to do it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's our review of First Cow. Pretty cool movie. Pretty cool movie. Yeah, really cool movie. Worth checking out. Jeff, do you, do you regret renting it instead of blind buying it? What do you think? No. I. <laughs> there's not going to be a time where I'm like, I want to watch yeah, that again. I, think, I, I can understand that. I can understand that. But anyway, I think it's a, it's a great film. Check it out. First Cow. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Be sure to check out his YouTube channel. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I do several other shows, including a video game show called DLC. You can find that at uh, 5x5.tv slash DLC. I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. I do that with Anthony Carboni. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. Um, and I do the de- the Dungeon Run, which is a live play Dungeons & Dragons show uh, every Wednesday night. Uh, we've been getting extraordinary feedback the last uh, couple of weeks. People really, really digging the show. Uh, I think we had the most live viewers we've ever had. I hope you give it a shot as well. I know the episodes are long, but really, it, it's something special. It's something I'm very proud of. Uh, you can find The Dungeon Run on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can find it uh, as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run anywhere you get audio podcasts. Or you can watch us live Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run.
I'm at Vindra on Twitter. I write about technology at Engadget.com, and I'm also doing the Engadget podcast. We're going to start live streaming that soon on Thursday, so keep an eye out for that. I'll be announcing that soon. Check out my other podcasts, Culturally Relevant, uh, wherever you can find your podcasts, and also Truth versus Hollywood, the show I'm doing with Joanna Robinson, where we review and discuss and hear from experts about movies that were based on real-life stories. On next week's episode of the Slash Filmcast, we will be reviewing Relic, a horror movie right now that you can rent on a video-on-demand platform. So check out Relic, come back, listen to the Slash Filmcast next week. We're going to discuss it. And hopefully we're going to discuss it more uh, than we do Indian matchmaking. So thanks for listening, (laughs) and we'll see you next week. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.